So I've had a couple of reflections tonight. I think there's, there's been a lot already. You've been with a lot. Uh, let's see. I've got a few ideas, but let's see what's needed. Hmm. Somebody just sent me an email and it had a quote from Rilke on it, you know, the German poet. And the quote was, the purpose of life is to be defeated by greater and greater things. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's with what Brad was talking about last night. Where we finally sort of, well, finally, I think it probably happens again and again. It's like, okay, okay. <laughs> kind of humbled, and that the defeat doesn't have to be crushing, the defeat can be just bringing us to earth, bringing us, not just to earth, because when we come to earth, as we come more into body, <coughs> as we come more into presence, check out if this is what you find, but I find that's where we meet each other, truly. That's where we get the sense of connectedness that we've been seeking, the belonging that has eluded us. So we're defeated by greater and greater things, and that happens here, doesn't it? It's not that there's something outside of you that's greater, but our ideas about ourselves hopefully get defeated in a context. When, when it's not just the mind feeling defeated, but it's our wholeness, our head, our heart, our body, then, okay, I'm here, a little more vulnerable, my hands are open. Don't know how we all got here. Well, Brad told one version of it last night, right? That's a great version. That's one, one version, that's part one, one story, but there are multiple stories for this universe. Multiple. And actually, Dhamma, as I understand it, isn't to find the right one. Isn't to find the right mythology or the right narrative or the right movie to be in. Have you tried to do that in the meditation? Like, I don't want this movie, the one I'm in. I want a different movie. But the the first principle of Transformation is acceptance. It's like, okay, it's this movie. And as we come into presence with that, that's where things can start to move. That's where things can start to open up for us. My rigidities, and rigidities I didn't even know I had, they had just become ways of looking at the world. So hopefully I can, I'll try and say a little bit more about that, but let me start with um, one description from one of my teachers about the goal of the path as he sees it. This is from Ajahn Sachita. He's he's, um, unpacking the word world, the way we use the word, the word world, and like conventionally, it's bits from me, not from him. If I'd ever hear the word world, I'd think, well, that's that thing out there, right? I might think it's the planet or the things on it or 
you know, there's me and then there's the world. And I know I'm sort of part of it, but the world's that thing out there. So he's talking about a definition of the world. And he says from a Dharma perspective, it includes, um, it includes all of that, but it also includes the inner domains of the mind and its beliefs, as well as the immaterial environment of culture, of social structures, social conditioning. This total environment is what is referred to in teachings as the world, right? The inner and the outer, it's, it ma- it's made up together. It's not two different things. There is not a world apart from my views. And my ways of, yeah, my ways of seeing it. <clears throat> so here's what he says. Um, this is the world that the teachings address this is the nature this is nature, includes this mind realm this is the nature of which we humans are an intrinsic aspect we are the aspect of this cosmos that can reflect on itself and can thereby develop a holistic wisdom that embraces and transcends any single point or detail within the whole. Embraces and transcends any particular detail within the whole. He says, such wisdom accepts and cares for all, but is not attached to or confined to any position within the cosmos. Whether that be self, so just think of what positions you might be attached to in the cosmos. Have you got any? Sometimes we're attached to our position in the meditation hall, right? Let alone anything else, right? He says, so whether that position is self, other, mind, mind state, a tree, a society, or even infinite consciousness. Not attached to a position within the whole. Can embrace, I can touch, embrace, and transcend any single point. He says the culmination of this development is called awakening from his perspective. So how's it going, embracing and transcending? (laughs) (laughs) Transcending can sound very big, can't it, sometimes? I don't think it's always, it doesn't have to always feel cosmic. Transcending on its own. Some people just transcend. That has its own... Problems. Usually, not we're not we become very unrelational, lose some of the humanity in the heart that we were speaking about last night. But to embrace and transcend is to touch the particularity of the sensation, of the pain in the heart, of the joy, of the mind state, of the thought, of the feeling of the other, feeling the particularity of the other. Embracing. But because the attention has got a bit more freed up, we can touch without adhering to the thing. So we practice with where we do adhere, glue, bond, not the healthy kind of bonding, but the bonding where we're glued. We're glued to something. Have you been glued? 
We, we, we use it, I was just thinking of the where we use it in the language, glued to the television. <laughs> I was really glued, glued to the box. Oh, what's going on there? Not a judgment here, but we want, we're training attention. So when the attention gets glued, often, well, check it out, this is my experience. Sometimes we're wandering around, wanting our attention to get glued to something. Like, will you glue me? <laughs> can, I stick, can I stick to you? So like, what do I do with this big cosmos with thoughts and feelings and bodies and identities? And like, you know that 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 um, did you did you have as a child any of you that Doctor Zeus stories? Um, <laughs> oh God, start crying! They're so beautiful, some of them. They're so poignant and uh, sort of ethical, moral pieces in them. But there's, I don't think, I'm not sure this one had an ethical or moral story, it's more of a human predicament, and it's this, the book that's called Are You My Mother? And there's a little duck, chick, some kind of chick, who's motherless. And each page has the little chick looking at something, saying, are you my mother? Because right, a chick needs something to bond to, right? And as you might know with chicks, I think they just need something to bond with. with. I think it can be, could be one of us. So he's looking at this little chick at the crane. There's a crane, a big... That's the one I remember. A mechanical crane. Not even a birdie crane. <laughs> a mechanical crane with a big arm on it. My mother. And he goes through various pages... And that search is both poignant to us because probably all of us know that place we want to be bonded because we're primed to bond also. We're primed to bond. <clears throat> and I think the crane comes down. Crane, is it a crane? Missing my mechanical machines vocabulary. But anyway, that the arm comes down with a pickup. Chick gets in and gets lifted up by the train. It's very sweet. That's all it needs. He puts him in the nest. Oh, and he puts him in the nest? Because he's um, chasing after planes. He's been looking at planes. See how (laughs) The chick's been looking at aeroplane. You might know that that's right. There was an aeroplane. And in the end, the crane leans down, picks him up or her up or whatever it she is. Pops him in the nest. So that, that priming to bond. Um, and sometimes we think, okay, Dharma teachings about non-attachment, non-bonding, and I think it's really important to understand. Um, that doesn't mean our desire to connect is somehow erroneous. That would be a crying shame, wouldn't it, if we interpreted teachings in that way. But we do need to understand the... You know, the way that the small one, the infant, is primed for certain functions, for certain needs. And our awakening asks us, yes, we will want to touch and be intimate and make contact with things. Absolutely. In fact, as one teacher puts it, from the perspective of the heart, awakening is about intimacy. Touching. That awakening is about intimacy with all things. 
that we can resonate, touch into body, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, each other, without gluing on. Because when we glue on, the intimacy goes, doesn't it? Who hasn't tried that with someone? (laughs) When we glue on, the intimacy goes. When we're too far away, we may be secure, but a little bit more aloof or lonely. So something in that instinct is, is really healthy and from the perspective of steadying the attention and wanting to wake up so that we have more freedom actually in our negotiation and being here together. What does it mean to um, touch, in, as he says, embrace? and transcend, get bigger than, wider than. We don't lose the perspective of something bigger than the particular. In fact, when we hold a bigger sense of the field, then our intimacy with the particular can be, I would say, more. When we limit to the particular other, the particular idea, It can only go so far. So I want to offer... this idea of the whole, right, the bigger perspective. I think he uses that language here. Right, thereby developing a holistic wisdom that embraces and transcends any point or detail within the whole. A holistic wisdom. Whole, whole. Same root as holy Holy doesn't mean rarefied or special. Holy is whole. Something's complete. It's not only deconstructed and reduced to parts. It's known in its wholeness. This includes what we're seeing, thoughts, feelings, sensations, each other, mind states, grass, trees, zebras, everything that we can perceive. It also includes the way of perceiving. It also includes the framework through which we're seeing the world. Often when I hear language like uh, um, Dharma language, I would often think of the the things that I'm working with, you know, the feelings, the sensations, the thoughts, the mind states, etc. But this is not separate from the way that I'm seeing those things, the framework through which I'm perceiving reality. 
And there are many frameworks through which we will both interpret but also see through. I would say from a Dharma perspective, there isn't a final ontological framework that's the correct one. The Buddha is pointing to emptiness, and emptiness means that any one of those things you can point to, anything outside of yourself, anything inside of yourself, any way of seeing the world, comes together due to conditions. It's not a final, ultimate truth. Perceiving emptiness, looking deeply into emptiness, is to free us up to be with frameworks, ways of perceiving, in a skillful way. So let's see if I can give some examples. Ways of seeing the world, the classic one is language. Any language is going to have certain structures and uh, things that both allow certain things to be seen and perceived and certain other areas they cannot. They're outside of the possibility of the concepts that are there. I was um, really struck, I was recently involved in something online called uh, Eco-Sattva Training and it's from students, uh, uh, Dharma folks, practitioners, uh, in Washington, D.C., who have kind of put together a uh, sangha, a group, a group where they're looking into how to have response to the ecological crisis, but really from a depth perspective. And there was a training that people could do online, and I was asked to do one of the teachings on it. Um, one of the other episodes... Episodes? <laughs> whatever you call it one of the other module one of the other days one of the other Sundays there were two teachers teaching and one was called Tiakosan Ghost Horse and he's a First Nation person so from the Native American tradition and he was really beautiful very heartful in the way what he offered but he was pointing out being both completely well he might be more than bilingual but at least English and his own language called Wakan, I think. Um, and there was no judgment or criticism. He was just simply pointing out certain things that were available through language and certain things that were not. And that in his language, um, I don't remember what the word was, but there's no final word for, for an ultimate truth in his particular language, not spirit, not God, not... Anything. He said, the word that we have is called the best translation in English. And he said, I can only get it like 60%. Doesn't quite do it in English. But he said, is mysteriousing expanding. <laughs> <laughs> just feel, just, it's not that his is better, but let's try it on. Because emptiness will allow us a freedom to try on different ways of perceiving and see what leads to more love and wisdom and what does not. If I make my ultimate framework a concept that's a noun, that limits, you know, which is part of our gripe, I think, with spiritual frameworks, I make it, it's about God and it looks like this and it's one of those. Fine, if we can have mysterious and expanding <coughs> informing our lens of perception too. What does that do to your way of looking? Just even trying those on as, a, as, as his best attempt to translate. 
It's a verb for a start. Mysterious thing, expanding. It's not like you can't nail it. With nouns, you can nail them. You think you can. <laughs> I think I can. So if I say, I don't know, a noun, it's a noun. Chair. Right, okay, yeah, chair. Got it. Nothing else to see, nothing else to look at. Current sort of popularist way of looking is that it's just a bunch of atoms buzzing around, banging into each other for a bit, and then it won't be anymore. Right, that's one way of seeing. Slightly flattens the heart, but it has some validity. But if I look at the chair, chair, mysterious thing expanding, I don't have to go, well, it's not expanding, staying the same. Just trying the lens on, what's the effect? Not trying to sign up to a religion now of mysterious thing expanding when you join, but actually let me try that lens on, because it can open something else up in perception that, if it's useful, Use it. If it's useful, use it. So we want to see the limits of our frameworks, languages, one. All the ways we're conditioned to perceive the world through our culture and our ideas about everything, actually. Our ideas about everything. Which we don't often bump into if we don't question them, or if we only mix with people who agree our particular worldview. I think that's called a cult. <laughs> right? And I, I use it, uh, I don't use it lightly, I think even any, I don't just mean weird cultish things, I mean <coughs> cultish where actually I never put myself outside of circles where I get the same reflections about things. And this, when we live in a country, will inherit the country's history and way of seeing. If I mix with a certain group of people, I'll keep getting that reflected. I watched one of my students last week. She said... um, it was very touching. She, she, we were on Skype and she said um, she was a bit troubled and she said, you know what I've been grappling with for the last month is what happened in Paris. And she said, I, I, it's like it's really stirred me in a way that nothing had before for her. It stirred her but it had felt particularly close to home for a number of reasons. And then we explored it and she unpacked it, what was there for her and how it sort of opened her view. And she said, what's been difficult, I've been, my friends have just reflected the same, the friends that I'm with, she wasn't criticising them, she wasn't being superior to them, she was just saying they're reflecting a particular view of, you know, sort of standard, you know, go in and kill them all kind of view. And she was like, I was trying to open up the discussion, but I couldn't. That was what I was getting back. And there was a, there's a distress in that. Um, again, not to dismiss anyone, but the, the view gets limited. The view gets limited. And the world gets limited by our view. 
You know, we can see it with sort of standardised shopping. You know, something of the diversity of the high streets disappearing into this sort of monotone, um, safe clothes. One of my friend, one of our teachers from um, America, he goes, I love coming to England because people wear such weird clothes. <laughs> he goes, like, he doesn't say weird, actually. He said, I stand on the train platform and everyone's like, they're not all just wearing things from the Gap. <laughs> That's why I come to Europe. Right, we've got our own limitations, of course. That's what he could see from coming in. So the ways of seeing, so there's not a correct way of seeing, but there are some ways of seeing that are more helpful than others, that lead to more wisdom and more compassion. <clears throat> so one way of looking is we've been looking with the mindfulness of body, first foundation of mindfulness, and once we're steady enough, we can try on different ways of seeing to see if it's helpful to look <clears throat> with the lens of seeing change. The lens that teachings point us to of perceiving impermanence, perceiving the fact that all things come into being and fade away, all things. See that directly from your experience. Don't take it on as a dogma. Don't make a religion out of it. But look, because it may help to take your you to take your hands off. When the Buddha pointed out this lens, it's not new. Nobody, it's not a surprise to anybody to hear that teaching. But it may be new to look through our meditative experience when we're more steady. It can make a bigger impact on us. When he offered it, he didn't say, this is an ultimate truth. <clears throat> this is a final ontological thing, and I'm going to make a religion about impermanence. He, he could have said something else. You know, think of Teokas and Ghost Horse. Mysterious thing expanding. That's also an aspect of what we call impermanence. Mysterious thing expanding is constantly changing. It's a verb. It's moving. It's alive. So this is one way of looking that can help us in relation to this whole. Another way from the mindfulness of body, so knowing body as body is touched it a little bit, but to perceive body as elements, fire, wind, earth, water. Yes, as a reflection, but also through your direct experience, can you feel the density? Can you feel the heat? Can you feel your fluidity, your clarity? If this this can help take the personal rub away from the body, my body. Um, yes, it is your it is your body. We see how sometimes my body, that the whole cosmos can shrink in that moment. 
my body. And then we lose that holistic sense. We can embrace our body and transcend our body. So the elements can be good, can be beautiful with this. And this is a, I just want to read you this. Try out. Um, as I read it, it's a intention um, using the elements and letting them be known both physically and as qualities of mind. When the in the teachings when this pointed out the very sweet well I find it sweet teaching where the Buddha's talking to his son and he's he says um, uh, he's encouraging his son to look in this way. And he said, look, Rahula, perceive the fire, earth, wind and air inside you and outside you. Look, look in that way. What does it do to your perception? What does it do to your heart? He says, look... Um, he says, also cultivate the mind. Make your meditation like the earth. Make your meditation like fire. Make your meditation like water. Make your meditation like air. So on all levels. So when we have fire arise in our mind, can we see it as fire rather than, oh, God, I hope I don't get angry. Or, you know, Okay, sometimes the fire comes up and it's a little bit angry in the beginning. But actually the fire is fire. Someone today who was appreciating the fire in someone else, and when she explores, she says, actually, I can really sense my bones. Right? It's not fire, it's bones. That's what I'm with. I can sense this sort of solidity and this firmness and here-ness. Earth element. Can I know it in body? Can I know it in mind when I'm firm? Not rid- well, rigid is the sort of distorted version of that, but firm. So earth. Mind like the earth. This is an intention, an invocation. See, see what this does. You know, you may like it, you may not. See if it's useful. So we remember and honour the whole through the elements: earth, fire, water, and air. We honour the whole through the element of earth. You are earth. You are dark, you are heavy, you are fertile, you are grounded, you are deep. We are the water, we honour the whole through the element of water. You are fluid, you are clear, you are vital, you are refreshing. You are renewed. We'll do the other two. This is not like an affirmation. It's pointing to this aspect. Doesn't mean all other stuff doesn't arise, but can you look and see this? Does it make any resonance for you? You are fire. We honor the whole through the element of fire. You are bright. You are hot. You are intense. You are illuminating. We honour the element of air. We honour the whole through the element of air. You are air. 
you are light. Like whiteness, light, you are light. You are unencumbered. You are movement. You move swiftly. You can change direction. anyone for whom that's useful, a reflection on the elements, and useful means does it allow me to both respect the particular and also widen around it, respect the particular of body and mind and also widen, transcend. Anyone for whom that was useful? Actually, I'm just curious. Was that was that useful for anybody? Yes. yes. Okay. So, um, what what do you notice happen to your way of seeing, perceiving, experience when you hear that reflection on elements? Anyone? You can call out. It's about movement again. Movement. Very different. So you you feel more movement. Yeah. Okay, where, where do you feel the movement, Caroline? What? When you I, hear that? It was more... I didn't feel it as such, but it was just that possibility that... So was it the air, the air element in particular? Yes. Okay, very good. The so there was one element in particular yeah. that stood out for us. Very good. So sometimes we, we're going to be more prone or more inclined to certain of the elements, both mentally and... Yeah, as qualities of mind and, and body um, presence. And sometimes we're sort of missing ones. Like, oh, air, that's it. Air's that kind of unencumbered. It's like where you could walk out of the room, as one of my colleagues said in the summer. So you could walk out of the room and leave all your luggage here. And just go, you're unencumbered. You're kind of, there's a, there's a movement, there's a lightness of movement with the air element. Yeah. Some people are very airy already and they need a little bit more <laughs> getting down here. Any other responses to hearing that? Can you read it to us again? Oh, okay. Oh, oh wait a second. Let's hear any other responses. It no. resonates with oh. the pieces of the body. You, you can feel it resonate with the pieces of the body? or The earth, the bones, yeah. the air, the breath, yes. the fire, the natural heat of the body. Yeah. And the water, the fact that the body is 70% water. Right. So, so it's very simple. It's very simple. <laughs> yeah. And does it leave you... How does it leave you, Alexis? Um, simple? Yeah, simple. Yeah, beautiful. So there's a, there's a simplifying that can happen. So, oh, yeah, boy. Great. Noon, did you want to say something? I the same. It sim- simplifies. But it, it helps me to move out of um, an identity of me with my conditions. Yeah. To go, actually, I've got fluidity in me all the time. All the time. I've got, I can change direction. I haven't heard that one before. The wind, I've changed change direction, direction swiftly. Yeah. And all of, all of them. Yeah. I can just drop out that um, sticking to me. Yes. Conditions. And Great. And, and beautiful. And then, it's a relief. It's a down <laughs> And that's, you know, we could say, t- these are teachings of relief. Um, I will read it again because I think, yeah. Um, 
remember and honour the whole through the elements, earth, fire, water and air. We honour the sacred, we honour the whole, the holiness, if you don't mind my use of that rather tainted word. We honour the whole through the element of earth. You are earth. You are dark. You are heavy. You are fertile. You are grounded. You are deep. You are water. We honour the whole through the element of water. You are fluid. You are clear. You are vital. You are refreshing. You are renewed. You are fire. We honour the whole through the element of fire. You are bright. You are hot. You are intense. You are illuminated. We are the air. We honour the whole through the element of air. You are air. You are light. You are unencumbered. You are movement. You move swiftly. You can change direction. Um, yeah, you wanted to say something. Oh, um, just that what came up for me was with the earth, I felt this connection to my base. And with the water, almost like the belly and the sexual organs, something about that mm-hmm. watery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fire, I was feeling of um, the heat in the centre that distributes. And the air, my lungs and heart. Felt it like that, kind of going from the base up. Going from the base up, right. And where does it how does it affect you to to relate and perceive in that way? I think what is that Alex Alexis, yeah. said it, something about it being very simplifying and so excited about it. Impersonal. Yeah, yeah. Less person. We have to be less. Take it personally. We all have these elements inside of us. It's universal. Yeah, physically and as mental qualities as well. Yeah. yeah. Any other reflection before we move on? Uh, okay, two. Yes. Um, what came up for me was and there's another element which is often in, in many traditions the element of space space yeah that's also in that teaching actually. in which everything any, everything exists yeah well, and what came up for me was that it sort of creates a feeling of space between you know myself and my stuff so okay great so it, it creates space <laughs> yeah. space comes into the field of perception when you perceive when you take this framework on as a so lens I'm ungluing I suppose ungluing right yeah. right the unbonding in that sense, yeah. Um, thank you. Hannah? Just following on from what everyone else has said, really, but particularly from um, Noon's comment and this last one, it just gave me a sense of limitless potential of human nature, which I find gives me a sense of hope and is quite liberating. Right. Actually, boy, if we're these elements, just like externally and internally, and mental qualities, wow. Where, if they're allowed with wisdom, right? Because we know where they can all go without wisdom, right? Where the fire goes without any wisdom, or where the earth goes without any wisdom, is dense and hard. But yes, with some p- potential of the deepening of the, the kindness and the wisdom, yeah, 
we have there's a I think like Brad said, just even from the brain perspective, there's only like a tiny amount we use. But if we open out the brain into the wholeness of us, it's probably just a tiny amount we've gotten to so far with what's possible together. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, um... Can I just say one more thing? We need them all. Huh? We, we also need... Need them all. We need them all, this healthy balance of them all. And Brad was describing the, the, the heart expanding, but without the earth to support it and give it grounding, you could have all sorts of wonderful heartfelt ideas but not be able to manifest them without the fire yes. as well to... Yeah, to ignite. Yeah, yes, thank you. Yeah, we need them all. So I think it's also a useful reflection on the personal level. It's like, oh, yeah, where am I a little bit more... Which ones are more uh, easy for me? And which ones are the ones I could use developing? And we're all going to be different. It's not like we're perfectly proportioned. You know, it's like one quarter fire. No, you've got a little too much, just put it down we're going to show up differently that's where the diversity of our uniqueness fits into that wholeness it's not the impersonal teachings aren't rendering us all the same they're actually giving us room to actually show up in our diversity which like our friend who likes the clothes that we wear here because they're not just from the gap it's like there's more potential for nature to have its diversity and that's from a, just from a creature perspective, that's healthy. Let alone from our being together perspective. Two more things, I think. Um, this is from, remember the two nights ago I read a little bit from Reggie Ray, this uh, teacher who trained in the Tibetan tradition, who has a lot to say about waking up through the body as body. He gives a metaphor that, um, you know, if we, we could be in danger as we bring these teachings to the West, as in it, not just, there's nothing wrong with the West, I mean, apart from, you know, we've got our limitations. <laughs> in fact, it's not like it's more bad than anywhere else. But that, that we can, um, we are likely to, to translate those teachings through our own limited frameworks. Right, which might be like to make all dharma like buying clothes from the gap. Right, so everyone's got the same kind of jersey on, the same dharma shape. Wouldn't that be terrible? I mean, it was a bit of kind of safety in it, but it would be a little bit of a loss. Um, we all got <laughs> we all show, end up the same. That was my fear, I think, when I first when I first heard teachings that pointed to less personal things, which is both liberating. I was thinking, oh no we're all going to end up like a compost heap. You know, we're all going to be sort of rendered in just a, a sort of like humans or something. We'll all be the same. Obviously none of you have thought that. He, he's um, saying, so traditionally, because that always happens, cultures tend to start to, conventions, ways of seeing, tend to limit certain things. And traditionally, in Buddhist countries, you'd see that the, the practitioners who wanted to go deeper again would leave the towns or the villages or whatever and go to the forest. Going to the forest, actually, and metaphorically, it's like in the forest. <sighs> right there, I can find out a little bit more grassroots uh, 
relationship with reality, if you like. I'm less confined in the forest by the dogmas and the correct ways that I'm supposed to show up within the frameworks, albeit that they're well-intentioned. So there's always a dance, isn't there, between the support of institutions and the limitations of them. Anyway, that's the forest. He says, these days, he said, but the forest is disappearing. Places to practice untouched by rules and dogma and the need to evidence everything. <laughs> that's, that's a very important thing, isn't it? to evidence everything. Um, he says, but now the new wilderness, a new trackless land, a new unknown and limitless territory, a terrain of adventure, cannot be colonised or domesticated by ambition and greed, cannot be mapped in its true extent by human logic, namely the forest of the human body. He says this outlandish expanse, have you seen that? It's not just how it looked to you before. As you go, it's like, whoa, (laughs) what happens to my perception when I'm not just looking at it through, this is my body and it's a bit too much of that and a bit not enough of that. But if I actually know it from the inside, wow. Does anyone have a, a glimpse or a sense of that? There's a lot more going on than meets the eye. So he says, the forest of the human body, the outlandish expanse, we are invited to let go of everything we think allow ourselves to be stripped down to our most irreducible person. Not the body we think we have, the body we conceptualise as me or self-image, rather the body we meet when we are willing to descend into it, to surrender into its darkness and its mystery and to explore it with our awareness. You come to the forest... <laughs> I think we are. We've been in the forest. That's why it's courageous, isn't it? We got we got the rules. We got a bit of dogma. And we, you know, and then we can we can play. We can explore. I want to end with a poem. by Lisa Starr, and she says, and it's called, I question the seven sacred directions and they answer. Right, so we're open to all kinds of ways of seeing, why not? You talk to all these things. Air. Who taught you to touch my hair that way? Which chest of which bird is your favorite? Why are you so moody? Fire. Could you control yourself if you had to? You know I'm not afraid to look you in the eye, don't you? Are you ever sorry when the barn collapses on the bleating cows? Do you have a lover? To the water. If it's not true that I'm your daughter, will you lie to me? Which do you like better, the calm or the storm? Earth, can you feel my embrace? Do you ever want to throw your hands up and just walk away from it all? (laughs) 
Do you plan your reactions, or do they just happen? Then she asks above, Do you really listen to our prayers and songs? Are you ever lonely? Do you weep more when we make peace or war? Below. Who taught you your patience? Are there moments when we will all dance together? And she asks, within. Why this fist around my belly? Can't you do something about this sorrow? Answers. Because you are my daughter, you shouldn't have had to ask. For every question, one blade of grass. For every sorrow, one golden shaft of wheat. For your loneliness, I give you children, loving. Have you seen me blow and ripple through the long grass? It's like that with your hair. As for the cows, I am sorry for their fear. But one day you will understand that even their pain is necessary. Walk away from all this green? Never. And about my lover, none of your business. <laughs> and one more thing, dear one. Sometimes you are afraid to look me in the eye. And then, and only then, do I feel lonely. Thank you, Lisa. Let's sit for a moment together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.